Again, we will be in the Lord's Prayer this morning, or uh, better, uh, probably named uh, the Disciples' Prayer. This is Jesus is teaching us how we ought to pray, and we said last week this is a, a formula on how to pray, not the exact words to pray. Uh, we, uh, God is going to, through Jesus, give us a way to pray. Um, if you remember two people that we referenced last week, this is what John MacArthur said about this. He says about prayer, prayer is, the vi- is vital to every other aspect in kingdom living. We cannot, for example, give or fast. We'll look at fasting next week properly unless we are in constant communion with God. Prayer is our way to be in communion with God. There's no way for us to know how to pray or how to fast or how to give or how to live our daily lives, how to be kingdom citizens if we are not in constant communication with God. So often, uh, we need to have the communication both ways. So often in our prayer life, it's just us going before God over and over and over and over again and not listening to God. There is a part of prayer that is listening. And so we'll kind of look through all that this morning. Also, this is what another writer said about prayer. The Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about prayer. Man is at his greatest or highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. This is prayer. Prayer puts us in constant communication before a holy God and also puts us our faces before a holy God. If you remember, if you were here with us last week, we talked about this whole prayer has to do with the renown or the glory of God. It's all about God. And so when we as sinners come before a holy God, we will be forever changed if our hearts are right. If you remember, we looked in two sections, and this is we broke this prayer up into two sections. Uh, God's glory, we looked at last week. This week we'll look at man's need. And it will all push us back to the renown of the glory of God. Even in our need, it's going to push us back to God. Uh, in those two sections... We looked at these things last week. We looked at the name of God. Uh, So grateful for Keith that he sang us the names of God. Over 900 names of God in the the Bible. All point back to Him and who He is about. We talked about His kingdom. We talked about His will. This morning in man's need, we'll look at our daily bread. We'll look at our sin. And we'll look at our temptation. What does... The Lord had to say to us about our daily bread, our sin, and our temptation. If you remember, we were looking at the eight P's. Uh, John MacArthur took this passage of Scripture and broke it down into eight P's. We looked at uh, the first four last week. We'll look at the last four this morning. The first four was God's paternity or God being the Holy Father. We looked at God's priority, that God has a priority. The priority is a back to His name, His renown, His glory, His honor. It's all about Him. We looked at God's program. We looked at God's plan. This morning, we'll look at God's provision. We'll look at God's pardon. We'll look at God's protection. And finally, we'll look at uh, God's preeminence. That God is sovereign in control of all things. That's what preeminence means. And So this morning, again, we'll look at God's provision. Let's read uh, again verse 11. We'll look at five S's in this first line in Uh, the Lord's Prayer. Verse 11 says this, Give us this day our daily bread. We just want to spend a few moments on God's provision. That here in this sermon, we now switch to our need. That we are needy creatures that are in need of God's provision for us. 
We could come to this passage of Scripture, this verse in verse 11, say, God, give us our daily bread. For us in America, uh, this might be hard to understand. We uh, don't always need God for our daily bread. Uh, We have, if you go to my house, I probably could eat what's in my... Now, this is crazy. I'll just go ahead and say this. I've got a freezer and a deep freezer. Why someone needs two freezers, I still don't know, but we have it. Um, And I just think to myself, as Americans, we aren't really in need of God's daily bread, God's daily provision. And so I wrestle with this passage of Scripture this week to think to myself, God, what what are you trying to say to us, to me, in regards to uh, our daily bread? So uh, the first thing that we see is He is our sustenance. That God is our sustenance. We need God for our daily bread. The word uh, simply means our physical need. It's not just the bread that we need. We need our daily sustenance from God. God is using this word, Jesus uses this word bread to show us our physical needs. And so in, when Jesus wrote this and when the people of Israel would have heard this, they would have remembered when God had led the Israelites out of the pro- into the promised land and they were leading them out of Egypt into the promised land that they were in daily need of God's provision for them. We just sang it this morning. The manna that God every morning gave the Israelites manna, their daily need. And if they did not wake up and God had not provided with them their daily need, they would have been in big trouble. And so for us, what does it mean for us that God needs to provide for us our daily bread. What does that look like? I think two things. The two writers said this. Martin uh, Luther said this about this passage of prayer. Everything necessary for the provision of life is bread, including food, a healthy body, good, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. And then John Stott added this to Martin Lloyd. Uh, Martin Luther's quote, he said, John Stott, he says this, Jesus meant the necessities rather than the luxuries of life. That when we come to God for our daily bread, we are coming to God for our necessities, not our luxuries. And so for us, when we cry out to God for our daily bread, are we crying out to God for our needs or for our wants? You see, God wants to supply us with all of our needs, not our wants. You see, this prayer is going to point us back to our neediness of God. We are in great need of our physical condition. That's what bread shows us this morning. The second thing that we see in this passage it's referred to, who's going to give us this bread? Our source of our daily need being met is God the Father. That we cannot, on our own, provide any of our needs to ourselves. I think that's the great lie and the great trap that we live in, that we become our own gods, and in becoming our own gods, we no longer need God. We see that throughout the the world, that God is being pushed out of everything, that we don't really need God, that He's no longer our source or our power or our strength, that we can do it on our own. But if we think about it, just strip it all the way down, you can say, well, I don't need God because I have a job, and because I have a job, I have money, and because I have money, I can go to the grocery store, and because I can go to the grocery store, I can buy groceries, because of the grocery, and we can play it all out. But who's it all come from? You eat what you eat because God has provided even the, the food that we eat. 
God has provided you the money to buy the food. God has provided you just the abilities to go and make money. You see, us getting up tomorrow morning and getting up and going to work is a blessing from God. Like just the ability to get up and get into my car and drive to Nashville and not get into a wreck is a blessing from God. First and foremost, because Nashville doesn't know how to drive. But that we would say to ourselves, I get up today because God's blessing allowed me to get up today. I make money today because God has given me the abilities to make money. I'm not a great counselor because I'm a great counselor. I'm not a good pastor because I'm a good pastor. I'm both of those because God's glory has shone down onto me and given me the ability to teach and to counsel. Without God, I am nothing. Even my abilities come from God. Now, yes, I've got to work on those, and yes, I had to go to school for those, but I had to have the ability given to me by God to do those things. The same is true for you. And so tomorrow, when you get up, I pray that you would say to yourselves, oh, you are the source of my strength to get up today, God. And because of your strength today, God, you will provide for me my daily bread. The next thing that we see is this, the supplication, the word give. Who are we asking for? This word is so important in this text. Circle it. Give. You see, that word give shows us as the one that prays that we need to get it outside of ourselves. You see, give us. We are crying out to God that somebody else would give us what we need in our daily bread. And we're crying out to God to give it to us that we have this understanding now as we pray through this prayer that I cannot give it to myself. And yet, how often do we not live that way? How often do we not live praying the very first prayer, Oh God, give me. We need God to show up for us. You see, if God doesn't show up for us in the morning, we're in big trouble. If God does not reveal Himself to us and give us His sovereignty, His control, His renown, and our daily bread, we're in big trouble tomorrow. And I don't think we believe in our neediness to a holy God. That we don't live desperate in need of God. One of my mentors always used to say this, Oh God, I pray. I pray this. He would pray this every day. That God, if you don't show up today, we're in trouble, so show up today. Do I believe that? Do I, first and foremost, believe if God does not show up and give me what I need, I'm in trouble? Or am I so comfortable and so in this rat race, in this trap and believing that I've provided for myself all this stuff that I no longer need God to give me anything? You see, when we really have a true dependence on the Lord is where our faith truly grows. Church, are we dependent on the Lord this morning to give us? You fill in the blank. Are we so comfortable with where we're at, where God has brought us in 140 years? Are we so comfortable that that we we have a surplus of money in the bank account that we can sit back and say, oh, we don't really need God. We have almost $400,000 in a bank account. Well, in the moment, at any moment, God could come and take all that from us. I pray that doesn't happen. But if He would take that from us, 
we would be in great need of God. Like even now, we can be comfortable and say, ah, well, you know, we got enough money to uh, surplus that if people don't give this morning, we're not too bad a shape. Oh no, we've got to get on our knees before God and cry out that God would give us our daily bread. And I pray as a church, my prayer this week, as I've come to this one word in this passage, is that God, you would not do something to us and discipline us in a way that we would become needy, but God, we would humble ourselves to understand our neediness. God will discipline us if we don't believe we're needy. I pray that we humble ourselves before he disciplines us in our neediness. Because we are needy creatures, we need a holy God to give us all that we have. Do we believe that this morning, church? The second thing, or the fourth thing that we see is, who's this one line talking about? The word is seeker. Us. Give what? Us. Highlight that in your Bible. Us is referring to the believer. Remember, this prayer is for the believer, not the unbeliever. And so that word us shows us that we are in need of community, first and foremost. Do we believe that we need one another to, in order to seek God? Do we believe that? Are we seekers this morning as believers? Us. And the next thing, the last thing that we see in God's provision, that God would provide us with the bread, that God is the provider and the Father, that we would come and that we would become beggars or ask and give and that we would become a collective whole as we seek God to do this and that it would be this, the schedule daily. This word could have meant in this text either today's daily bread or we're praying for tomorrow's daily bread, either or however you want to translate it, but that it becomes this moment by moment by moment schedule of our neediness. Do we need God today, church? Do we believe that? I think our heads can answer it one way. How would our hearts answer that? Do we truly need God to show up for us this morning because we need God? Or we become so dependent on ourselves? And in our dependence of ourselves, we become prideful. And in our pride, pride always leads to ego. And ego always pushes us away from God. The, the beautiful thing about the word ego is simply this. Ego is this. E, ease, Easing God out is ego. That is ego. When I have ego, I'm pushing God away and saying to God, I no longer need you, God. I can do it all on my own. As a church, have we become egocentric? That we come and we gather on a Sunday morning, but we're not really coming and gathering because of our need for God. We're just coming and gathering because we've always come and gathered. Or do we really come expectantly hoping that God will show up for us to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves? That's the next part of this passage. You see, the next part of the passage reveals what we really need for God. What does he say? Forgive us of our debts. You see, we have to have this expectation to the Lord that we need God to forgive us of our sins. It's God's pardon. And it starts with this. There is a problem in all of us. We all have a problem. Romans 3.23 says this. For all, all means all. I uh, have taken some Greek and Hebrew. I'll save you some time and money. That word all means all. It means everyone in this room. All of us have what? Have sinned 
and fallen short of what the glory of God. It reveals back to us this whole prayer is about God's glory. And we need God's forgiveness of our sins so that we can go back to heralding God for who He is, the glory of God. You see, our sin robs us from being the glory of God. So there is a problem. The problem is our sin. That word debt also means sin. Here's what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of what? Sin. The wages of our debt is this. It's death. So we have a debt. We're crying out to God to forgive us of our debt, our sin. Our debt is to be repaid in death. Do we believe that this morning? Here's what Arthur Pink says about this passage about sin. As it is contrary to the holiness of God, sin is a defilement, a dishonor, as, and a reproach to us. As it is a violation of His law, it is a crime, and as, as to the guilt of which we contact therefore by this debt, because we've sinned against God, our sin has incurred upon us a debt that must be paid for. Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that we're sinners and because of our sins, we now owe a debt because of our sins? All of us are sinners. Everyone in this building, even poor little Cedar, the youngest one of them all. Just come hang out for the afternoon, you'll see that. As creatures, we owe a debt of obedience upon our maker and governor. And through failure to render the same on account of our rank of disobedience, we have incurred a debt of punishment. And it is for this that we implore a divine pardon. Do we believe this morning this passage of Scripture? Forgive us of our debts. Remember, he's saying this prayer is for us, the believer, before the unbeliever. So this morning, do we believe that we have a debt that must be paid? Do you believe that? Do I believe that this morning? Do I believe that I'm a sinner that needs a pardon for my sin? You see, because if we don't believe that, then the rest of the prayer is not going to matter. And so for us, first and foremost, do we believe for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Daily. Daily. Yesterday, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us in this room, yesterday. Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, we're going to cry out that there will be a pardon for our sin. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Here's the beauty in that. When we cry out to God for the pardon of our sin, there is a provision for our sin. You you see, if we don't cry out to a holy God because we don't believe that there's a pardon, then we don't believe that there's a provision. If you don't believe that you're a sinner, then you won't believe in the provision that God has given to you through His Son, Jesus. Because we all have a debt, we all have a payment that must be paid. All of us, every person that walks this planet has a debt that must be paid do we believe that and yet do we believe that there's been a provision given to us 
Here's what 1 John 2, 2 says about it. Here's our provision. Here's what we're going to celebrate in a few weeks. You, you see, if Easter's just a time to put some pastel colors on and a nice tie and a, a nice flower in your, your, your hair, wherever you're going to put a flower and go and bounce around with the Easter bunny and get some chocolate, then you'll miss all of Easter. Easter is a reminder that there's been a provision for us because of our sin, and that provision is Christ dying on a cross on Friday, and oh, thank God He rose from the grave on Sunday. You see, without Him rising from the grave on Sunday, there would be no provision for our sin. You see, Him rising from the grave on Sunday paid all of our debt for all of eternity. Do we believe that? 1 John 2, 2 says this, He, Jesus, is what the propitiation for our sin. That word just means that Jesus became our propitiation. Jesus became the one that incurred the debt. That at that moment on the cross, that your debt went to the cross on Christ. He became our propitiation. He became our provision. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Let me read that verse again. He's the propitiation of our sin, the believer. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do we believe that Jesus is the propitiation for our neighbor? Do we believe that Jesus is the propitiation for the lady that works at Publix? Do we believe that Jesus is the propitiation for all that have walked here? You see, that's what we're going to celebrate next Saturday morning. When, when we invite our community that, oh yes, they're going to get some candy and they're going to come to a bounce house. But oh, my prayer and our prayer is that, oh God, you would reveal yourself as the propitiation of their sins. That them coming onto this campus, that them coming to this church, that God would use that event to reveal to them that they are in great need of a Savior and that they would come to forgiveness and in their forgiveness, they would receive the propitiation for their sins. You see, if all you think that we're doing next Saturday from 4 to 7 is that let's have some Easter party, then you're missing it. It's way more than chocolate. It's way more than a bounce house. It's way more than hot dogs. I don't really like those things. It's way more than all that. It's for us to provide an opportunity for lost people to see that there's propitiation for their sin. And it starts with us, the believer. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin? Here's what he says in Romans 8. Because of our Savior being the propitiation for our sin, here's the other way that He provides for us. He's our provision. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only does Christ become our propitiation, but also now He takes away our guilt and shame. That he has, there is now no condemnation, there is no shame, there is no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. That they are free. Do you and do I believe that we're free this morning? Do I live a free man this morning? Do I live in my freedom in Christ this morning that there is no more shame, there is no more condemnation on me that I no longer have to look down but I can look high and say, oh man, there is now no more shame. Do I believe in the forgiveness of my sin because if I believe in the forgiveness of my sin, guilt and shame are removed. Do we believe that? 
this morning. The next thing that we see that not only that Christ has become our, our that he's been our provider, he's been our, that we would cry out to him in a plea. You see, we have to come to the Lord Jesus and we have to say to him, that's what this whole phrase is about. Oh, forgive us of our debts. Is there a plea in you? You see, that word plea just means that there's a confession in you. Do you believe that you are a sinner that needs to be saved by grace and faith alone? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, you'll have a plea to a holy God daily. That you need to plea out to God, oh God, forgive me of my sin. That you would come to God in your understanding that you're a sinner apart from Christ. When you sin, that you would have a plea that he would then call you back to himself. It's confession. 1 John 1, 9. If we, what, we confess our sins, he is what faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do we plead daily to God for our sin? And here's the scariest one of all of them. The next half of the verse. As we also forgive our debtors. There is a prerequisite for this passage. And it's not a prerequisite in the sense of, of, oh, if I don't forgive that God won't forgive me. That's not what this is talking about what this line is talking about is this that when you and I really begin to forgive one another that we have this understanding that we've already been forgiven you see you do not forgive other people if you do not realize you've been forgiven already that's how so many people hold grudges outside of blasphemy another way to blaspheme the holy spirit is through bitterness because if I don't forgive you, then I really don't understand all that God has forgiven me of because I'm ten times more wicked than you are. But if I come on a daily basis crying out to a holy God for my forgiveness, that when you offend me, I will forgive you because Christ has already forgiven me. Or do we hold grudges against one another? That's the saddest part for me in the church, universal, is that Christians hold grudges against one another. If that's true, then we really don't understand the forgiveness that God poured out on us, that God Himself gave His only begotten Son, that John said this morning, to die for you in place of your sin. I ought to forgive you. I promise, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I will never put Tennyson or Cedar on a cross for any of y'all. But yet God chose His only Son to do that so that you and I would have our debt paid for. Because we are sinners and we need a debt to be paid for. And that's why the cross shows us that our debt has been paid for. And so for us, we cry out to God, oh, forgive us. And let us forgive our debtors. Let us forgive those who have done us wrong. It does not say in this passage when they come and ask you for forgiveness. It says when you've been wrong, we forgive them whether they ask it or not. So this morning for you, it starts with the first part of the passage. Do you believe that you have a debt that needs paid daily? And do you believe that God 
gave us his son is through the, the, the provision for that. Because if that's all true for you, that you will see that no matter how much wrong has been done for you, that you'll forgive him because of the grace of God and the mercies of God and the forgiveness of God that God bestowed on to you. Why, yet you were yet a sinner, Romans tells us. And so for us, do we forgive others? You see, forgiving others is the true mark of a regenerated heart, is a true mark of a believer. We forgive because we were forgiven. Do we believe that this morning? The next line, verse 13, is this. God's protection. So after we are asking forgiveness and we give forgiveness, he says this. He says, lead us not into temptation. So often we can see that and think, well, well, God doesn't tempt us. No, God does not tempt us. That word temptation here just means a trial. And what the, the Jesus is saying in this line is that we would cry out to God that God would not allow us to get into a place that would overwhelm us. So we cry out to God, oh God, today, help me not be led into temptation that will overcome me. Do we pray that to God? Because if we don't pray that to God, I don't think we believe that God can protect us of those things. Do we cry out to God? You see, we can see in James chapter 1 that, man, there are trials that are given to us by God, but we're asking, as he says, Paul says in Corinthians 10, 13, that we aren't uh, into a temptation that would overwhelm us, but that God would always provide a way out. And so even in our trials, even in our temptation, is this true for us? Do we count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet trials of various kinds? You will meet trials. You will meet temptations. That is a promise from God. So when we cry out to God not to lead us in temptation, we're only asking Him that we aren't overwhelmed by the temptation. You will leave here today and you will face a trial. You will leave here today and you will face temptation. But our cry is that, oh God, we won't fall into that sin. I pray this every night for Cedar. More so probably than Tennyson because I'm a guy and I get temptation. I get sexual temptation. I pray this every night over Cedar. Oh God, protect him from himself and protect him from other people. I'm praying, oh God, lead him not into temptation that will overwhelm him because I know, God, what it's like to be in sin that overwhelms me. I know, God, what it's like to be in sin that I just can't seem to get out of. That's the reason I spent 85 days in a treatment center. Because I was what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 7. Oh God, the very thing I want to do, I can't seem to do. And the very things I do, I don't want to do. That is overwhelming temptation that we can't get out of. And the only one that can remove us from that temptation is God and God alone. Like, if you struggle with alcohol, like getting rid of alcohol in your house will not be the solution to your problem. If pornography is your problem, getting rid of pornography in your house, that will not solve the problem. Only God can solve the problem. But it's our surrender to God that solves the problem. Do we believe that? If money is your problem, getting a job that pays less is not going to be your solution. Whatever it is in your life that you would say today, man, I'm overwhelmed by this temptation. 
that I'm in this sin, that you would today get before a holy God on your knees and say to God, oh, lead me not in temptation today, God. It's only God. Only God can lead us out of temptation that overwhelms us. How do we know this? We know this because we need God's protection. We need God's protection not only from our temptation, but what? Oh, that He would deliver us from evil. That word evil just means the evil one. That word the evil one just means Satan. Do you believe and do I believe this morning that I need protection from the evil one? Do I believe that there's Satan? Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Here's what Jesus says in John 10.10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy Here's what Peter says in Peter, 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded and be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Do we believe that there's an evil one this morning? Because if I believe that there's an evil one, I'm going to pray to Almighty God that He will protect me, because I have seen historically I cannot protect myself. And you cannot protect yourself. We need a God much bigger than us to protect us from one who is bigger than us. Satan is bigger than us. Don't don't believe he's not. Satan knows God's word more than you know God's word. How do we know that? He used the word of God against Jesus himself in the 40 days in the wilderness to tempt Jesus. He knows God's word. Do we believe we need protection from the evil one? There is Satan, I promise. And our government is not Satan. Our TV is not Satan. The magazine rack is not Satan. Those are all just his ploys to tempt you, the believer. There is one that's way more crafty, powerful, and baffling than you and I. That what? Wants to seek, steal, and kill and destroy you. Do we believe that? Do we believe what Peter says in 1 Peter 5? Oh, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That is not a precious sight. Go watch the Discovery Channel tonight. When a lion is prowling around waiting to devour someone, they are ruthless. And they stop at nothing to take it down to get satisfied. And you know the crazy part is? It's still not satisfied. Satan will attack you and he won't be satisfied with just you. Husband, he's going after your wife. Wife, he's going after your husband. Mom and dad, he's going, even if he gets you, he's going. He will not be satisfied in destroying you. He's going after your children and your children's children. There is no amount of satisfaction that comes to Satan. He will never be satisfied until he kills all of us. Do we believe that this morning? Because if we believe that, we will cry out on a daily basis for God's protection. How do we resist Satan? If that is true, if we do have an adversary and we need God's protection, what is one of the ways that God has given us for His protection Flip over to James chapter 4, verse 7. 
This is our protection. It's not that we just sit and we pray and pray and pray. God has given us a brain and a heart and a mind. And so what do we do? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let me read that one more time. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the evil one, the devil, and he will flee for you. Our way of protection comes through submission. We hate that word. But if we want to really be protected from the evil one, we must submit ourselves to a holy God. You see, this prayer is always going to point back to the holiness of God. Do we submit ourselves to God? The next thing is found in Psalm chapter 119.11. He says this, I have stored your word in my heart, what? That I might not sin against you. Another way that we protect ourselves from the evil one is we store God's holy word in our hearts. It's amazing to me, and I'm guilty of it, how so many people, myself included, say, man, it's so hard to memorize Scripture. And it is. But I know this because I drive in Nashville and I see people sing and bop their head all day long. It's amazing to me the amount of songs people know just like that. It's not a memorization problem. It's a desire problem. Do we desire to hide God's Word in our heart because it comes out of our fear that there's an evil one that wants to devour us? Do we believe that this morning? Because if we believe that, then not only will we pray, but we will consume God's Word. And in consuming God's Word, we will meditate on it day and night. And in our meditation, we will hide in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. This is our only defense against the evil one. Our submission to God through the memorization and hiding God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. How much do we know God's Word? You do not need a seminary degree to know God's Word. You have a holy God that wants to reveal His wisdom and knowledge to you. If we seek Him, we will find Him, He says. Are we seeking Him? Do we store God's Word in our heart? The last thing that we see in this verse is this. The word deliver. You and I cannot deliver ourselves against the evil one. We need one way stronger than us. We need a deliverer to deliver us from the evil one. This prayer continues to point us to our neediness of a holy God from our food to our sin to our temptation to deliver us from evil. Do we believe how needy we are? Are we gotten so complacent and so, uh, so easy going that we no longer need a holy God to do anything for us? How needy are we? Do we believe we're needy, needy, needy people? The last two things are this, and I'll close. The last one is found in your footnotes. We all pray it. The prayer is what? Thy will be done, thy kingdom, the glory, forever and ever, amen. That is the preeminence of God. That, why we say that, why we sing that, is that it would show us that God is sovereign in control of all things, that it all points back to Him. Do we believe in the sovereignty of God this morning? So when we get here in a moment, we'll pray this 
to, to end us this morning. When we come to this, so we believe in the sovereignty of God. And the last thing is this, verse 14 and 15. I love that He brings us back to this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. What Jesus is saying to us, He brings us back to, the, for me, the most important part of this whole prayer is this, that we need a forgiver. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior this morning, you have a debt that must be paid. And here's the saddest part. It will be paid regardless. Your payment will come by spending eternity in hell. That is how your payment will get solved. You see, the holiness of God says, oh, you have a payment that must be paid. Therefore, I'm a just God, not just a holy God, not just a kind God, but I'm a just God. And in my justice, the way that it will be justified is by you spending eternity apart from Christ forever and ever in hell. That is the payment that you will pay. I promise that. You will spend your life Forever and ever. If you do not know Christ this morning, if you know Christ this morning, we can celebrate the payment has been paid on the cross. And because if that payment's been paid for you, that we will go out of our way to forgive others regardless if they ever ask for it. Because we've been forgiven of sins that we don't even know we've committed. Because we have a holy and righteous and loving and compassionate God that was satisfied on the cross of the payment because He gave His sacrifice, His Son Jesus, for that payment. For that we can worship God. You see, even our needs point us back to the glory of God. Do we give God glory this morning for the forgiveness of our sin? Or is it just something we've been accustomed to or we demand God of or we've just been complacent of it? Oh no, God sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for your payment and that we rejoice all day long. Where are you this morning? When you pray this prayer, where are you this morning? Let us pray. God, I'm so grateful for Your Son Jesus that shows us in this passage the Lord's Prayer, our neediness for You. God, I pray as a church, we don't get complacent in any of that. That we don't get complacent in our daily need for You because of that all that You've already provided us with. We don't get complacent, God, of our forgiveness, our sins. That God, we continue to cry out to You. And we see that You're sovereign in control of all things. Again, if you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus as your Savior. That through the Holy Spirit this morning, He's beginning to illuminate your heart that you need Christ to pay the penalty of your sin that this morning you would get that right with the Lord Jesus. If you're here this morning, there's that sin in your life. There's that temptation in your life that has overwhelmed you into sin and it's pervasive and it's ongoing that this morning you'd cry out to the holiness of God for forgiveness. That He continue to lead you out of temptation. 
And if you're here this morning and you're walking with the Lord this morning, I pray that you would pray for those who are struggling. I would pray that you would ask God and plead to God and be grateful for all that God has done for you. Because in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. We need you, God. Continue to reveal our neediness to you. We pray this in Christ's famous and holy name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. Mm-hmm.